that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and this is day two of our deep dive into Missouri, Ohio State's Cotton Bowl opponent on December 29th to close out the 2023 season, the number nine team in the country. Ohio State's six, right? They're number six, and Missouri's number nine. So this wouldn't have been a playoff game if we were in the 12-team playoff, or at least not the first playoff game, because I think Ohio State would have played, what, 11? In that situation, Nathan, is that correct? Yeah, no, yeah, this okay. wouldn't be the matchup if it was a. Okay. They would both be in the 12 team playoff. They wouldn't be playing yeah. each other. Okay. <clears throat> that would make this a little bit more interesting than it already is. But we're doing a deep dive into the Tigers. We did offense on Thursday. This is the Friday pod. And now we're looking at the defense. And Nathan. They run a lot of cover three. <laughs> it's a lot of cover three, which if we were if this were 2019 and we were covering Clemson and we were telling people, hey, what does Ohio State's defense do? Well, they run a lot of cover three. And I'm wondering from a I want to look at this almost from the Devin Brown perspective of things before we just deep dive into Missouri and why this cover three defense works out works so well for them. But Devin Brown's first game as allegedly Ohio State starting quarterback on December 29th. At least he said that. It hasn't necessarily been confirmed by the guy who actually makes the decision. We won't talk to him again until Wednesday, and maybe he confirms it with us then. But when you see what Missouri does within that cover three, I mean, it's, I mean, cover three is pretty basic, but it's very effective in how they go about kind of trying to stop people, especially limiting the idea of explosive plays which ohio state kind of thrives in at times when its offense is operating on all cylinders right so obviously the 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 point of cover three is it's supposed to give you the versatility to you know keep that safety down in the box and defend against the run against teams that are you know best suited to do that it also allows you to bring that guy back i mean it it works very very well when you have the DBs to run it in 2019 Ohio state had the DBs to run it. It had Sean Wade that it could put at that, uh, what they were calling slot cornerback at the time. It's undergone any number of name changes since then. And having a player as talented as that, at that position kind of unlocked how crucial that could be. Plus having chase young helped uh, when they did not have the athletes in 2020, in 2021, and they obviously got away from it more as 2021 went along. But you saw the vulnerabilities of it in 2020, especially, and then on into 2021. It was both insufficient against the run and the pass, depending on what year we were talking about. And it's going to be an interesting thing, because I don't know how much Devin Brown will have seen that. I don't know how much film that they could go off of this year where they saw looks like this. Um, probably some. I don't know if there's any team that played it as much as Missouri has. I'm trying, just trying to think off the top of my head, and I don't remember a team that maybe did this as much as Missouri did. They would just sprinkle it in as you're giving a team different looks. So it, it's it, the whole point, obviously, is it can it can crowd the box a little bit on you when they need to. And it's also something where you have the versatility now to change looks on the quarterback. And I think that that's where Devin Brown is going to have the biggest challenge is just knowing what he sees pre-snap, knowing what that 
means he should expect post-snap. I presume that this is a defense that is going to try to switch that up on him and, and make him um, maybe second-guess some of the things he's looking at. The, the defensive coordinator is a guy named Blake Baker, who uh, was just hired before last year. His biggest professional connection in some ways is to a guy named Manny Diaz who people know as the most recently the Penn State defensive coordinator and number one that's obviously somebody he can touch base with this year and 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 learn some things from but if you if you think back to the Penn State game this year it's not as if Ohio State had great success on offense in that game they didn't have Trevian Henderson didn't have Emeka Buka they were playing with short staffed but also wasn't a a game where they went out and did what they wanted against Penn State a little bit more the case the year before so I assume that Baker can obviously can reach out to to uh, Manny Diaz as he's unpacking unpacking boxes at his new job and uh, at Duke and uh, get some intel on on the best ways to attack Ohio State. But again, that's a little bit of an incomplete ask too because Manny Diaz doesn't have a whole lot of uh, intel on how to best defend an offense run by Devin Brown other than try to hurt his ankle so he can't run the red zone package anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't have to worry about it. Well, he might not have to worry about Marvin Harrison Jr. the way Manny Diaz did, but he also has to prepare for a brand new quarterback. Andrew, there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams in college football who have given up five, 40, five plays of 40 yards or more or less, five or less. Ohio State's on that list. Obviously, the only 40-yard play they gave up was on the Fumbaruski-type play against Rutgers. Missouri's on that list as well. They've only given up five plays of 40 or more yards. One of them ended up going for 50, and another one went for 60. But five plays of 40 or more yards. And so when you're thinking about the way Ohio State's season has gone, and then you're looking at some of these numbers that Missouri has shown defensively, is this game more likely to be played in the 20s or the 30s? Oh, I think the 30s. Um, I actually think really? this is going to be a game with, that there could be some scoring. Um, I I want to say that with the caveat that there are some Ohio State defensive players that we still don't know about um, for the bowl game. Um, so I think that if if those guys are not there, then I feel better about that 30 comparison because I do think both these teams are going to be able to score a little bit. Um, I think there's, I think that there's, you know, you, you, you look at it from a numbers perspective and like nothing from Missouri's defense is like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, nothing is, I mean, I know you just listened to that stat, which is impressive, but like their, you know, their yards per play in terms of allowed in, in the rushing game, it's like the, in the forties, pass yards per play is in the forties. They're not good on third downs. Uh, they're 64th in the country in on third down defense. So there, there, there are things to exploit with this defense. So that's why I lean into the 30s. But you also take a look at this Missouri defense and like go down the line. This is their 11 starters, by the way. Graduate, senior, redshirt senior, redshirt junior, redshirt senior, redshirt senior, senior, redshirt senior, senior, redshirt junior, redshirt sophomore. Like they're not playing young guys in the secondary. This is a this is a veteran group, an experienced group, and I think that matters in the way of 
exactly kind of correlating to what you just said about those big plays. They're not going to make mistakes, right? Like they're not going to give you a ton. You are going to have to earn whatever you get against this defense. So I don't know. I, I think I lean thirties. I lean higher, higher scoring because I think both these offenses are going to be able to do something. Um, but this is going to be a game where you're not going to get anything easy. I think on, uh, on either side of the ball offensively, that is. I think I disagree with that. I think Ohio state can yeah. get things pretty easily against Missouri's defense. I, I definitely okay. think it's a game that, that probably trends towards the thirties. Um, you're, you're right, Steven, that this is a defense that hasn't given up very many 40 plus yard plays. One of the top five in the country. They rank 47th in plays allowed of 30 mm-hmm. plus yards. They rank 85th in plays allowed of 20 plus yards. So if you, as long as you don't count <laughs> down too far, they, they look really good at preventing big plays, but they, they just are good at preventing the biggest plays. They're actually not that good. They're middle of the pack or worse. They're giving up pretty big chunk yardage. Now they've done like defensive improvement has been crucial to them getting something going at Missouri under Eli Drinkwitz. When, um, in 2020, they were 89th in the country in yards allowed per play. Uh, 2021, they fell all the way down to 113th, and there's only, whatever, 130-some teams in FBS, so you can do the math on that. Last year, though, they hire Baker. They jump all the way up to 45th. Now, some of that is, as Andrew points out, this is a, an older defense, and it's gotten even older this year. They were only 56th in, in, in that stat, yards allowed per play this season, but at least getting themselves into a range where they they give their offense a chance. And I think that is is really more the formula here. It's almost more like the 2022 Ohio State defense than the 2023 Ohio State defense. That's a defense that I think absolutely you have to earn everything you get against. It doesn't give up long drives. It doesn't give up long plays. You know, Michigan was really the first team of any repeated success on offense and even that team was not just running up and down the field Ohio State had you know portions of that game where they were stifling Michigan too so I think this is an an offense that or a defense that Ohio State can move the ball against I think the question is now that's all things being equal the question is with no Marvin Harrison Jr. and with Devin Brown Starting for the first time, big moment, doesn't have all of his weapons. We, he says he's fully healthy. We'll see if that stays true through the bowl game. Like, he's an X factor here. Like, is he ready to take advantage of this defense, or does this defense look better because it's uh, Devin Brown getting his first real chance to start, first chance to really run an offense against a team of, of this caliber? If you think about it, you know, Indiana, he got some series. Youngstown State, he got some series. And then from that point on, it was basically goal line package or mop-up duty in the second half. So this defense is fine, but fine might be pretty good when you're having to face it for the first time. You have those everything that goes along with that mentally, emotionally, and all those things. I do think, and this is not about talent or anything, I think it's Missouri, I do think, is a team of the teams they could have played in bowl games where to your point, Nathan, yes, they don't give up plays of 40 yards or more, but that's not the only thing that classifies as, a, as an explosive play. If you start dwindling down that number a little bit, it does get a little bit more explosive. 
not having Marvin Harrison Jr. potentially hurts. But I do think outside of that, what Missouri is defensively is probably the most ideal team when you're trying to break in a, start, a new starting quarterback when he's going to have all the other weapons he's supposed to have. at his disposal Because they're not going to come at him, right? They're not going to be sending exotic blitzes from all over the place to where he's going to have to diagnose a lot of stuff. They're going to sit back and require Devin Brown at times to just work his way up the field. And is he patient enough? And does Or does he try to go big game hunting at the wrong time and does it end in a turnover? Because he still is a young quarterback in terms of experience. I mean, I could definitely see them coming after him. Why wouldn't they come after him? I mean, that's not what I have been seeing from the. I haven't seen a team that's like consistently coming at quarterbacks. I mean, I understand, like, yeah, this is a different scenario, so maybe you want to do it more, but you still are who you are at your core. I don't, you don't want to get too far away from that just because the the off the team you're playing has a new quarterback. Yeah, I mean, they, they Missouri has some some aggressive tendencies at times, um, but I, I think that's and it's because it's one of the reasons why they've been a little bit more susceptible to some of those big plays. It's kind of that's that's the give and take. Um, I would be surprised if they didn't come after him a little bit. And as we were kind of talking about on the pod for about the Missouri offense and, and, um, and what Ohio state should do against that, it, it may be more like what you show than what you do. I think they've got to show a lot. I think they've got to try to uh, make Devin Brown diagnose things on the field. Um, they also know too, that if they come after him, you know, it's definitely out there from Ohio State players themselves what Devin Brown can do when a play breaks down, when you force him out of the pocket. They feel like that's a, almost a strength of his. We'll see if that shows up in games over an extended period of time when he actually gets to run the offense himself. But that's probably something Missouri is a little bit cognizant of. But I think you're going to have to get in his head. You're going to try to get in his head because it's anytime you're dealing with a guy with this little experience who's getting their first experience on this stage, uh, I would try to make that stage as bright and as complicated as possible. So from a weapon standpoint, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of do this the same way we did the, the, uh, the Thursday pod where we did passing game first and then we did running game second. So starting with from the passing game perspective, if you're not expecting Marvin Harrison Jr. to play, Nathan, we were in the Woody on Tuesday and we were talking with some people and we both heard that the, the who's been running with the ones. And some of this is because Marvin Harrison Jr. Wasn't practicing a lot last week. And that might be because he's already made a decision or it might be because he was busy doing award stuff the entire week. But either way, when he missed a couple of practices, the ones were Carnell Tate, Julian Fleming obviously is off in the transfer portal, so he's not playing. So Carnell Tate and Jaden Ballard were outside with a Mecca Buka in the slot, which is, if that holds heading into the game, that is a very similar situation to what Jackson Smith the Jigba had against Utah in the Rose Bowl. And this is not about, oh, can Emeka Buka can repeat that statistic. But Carnell Tate's played a little bit, but he's going to be a first-time starter if that holds. He might be a first-time starter regardless, because even if Marvin Harrison Jr. plays, I think we're assuming that Carnell Tate's the other starter, just given how that rotation has worked out this year. And then on the other side, Jaden Ballard hasn't done much either. How heavily does Ohio State maybe need to lean on Emeka Ibuka in this game, especially as a guy who did miss a huge chunk, and so some of the production he would have had during the year, he didn't have a chance to do that. Does it? Put, is it it's almost very similar. If Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't play and Julian Fleming is already gone to where maybe they rely heavily on Emeka Ibuka as a security blanket to Devin Brown in this situation. 
Well, I think you you have to rely on him pretty heavily too because we don't know what's going to happen with Travion Henderson. So, like, is this a game where you go in with one running back? You know, like, is this a game where you're running, you're going in with, hey, we got uh, Dallin Hayden and then we got Xavier Johnson. Like, if that's the case, you're probably not going to rely on the run game as much. And if you can't rely on the run game as much, now I know Devin Brown does maybe alleviate some of those concerns if you want to call some run plays for him, but I do think that you need to have that guy. So yeah, Mecca would be a really big security blanket. I think there's a balance between wanting to get guys involved and also finding your your guy or your guys. And I think that, you know, Emeka can be that where this is the game for Emeka to to ball out and to prove to NFL teams if he hasn't made a decision by then that he can be, you know, a number one receiver and that he does deserve that first round slot and everything like that. So I think that you can I think that you can just look to him and say like, hey, Mecca, this is it. Go win one on one and and go win your matchups. And I think you I think you kind of have to rely on Emeka, especially considering, you know, what else you got at the receiver room, but then what else the offense might just look like as a whole. We can't discount too, like when you make the analogy to twenty one in the Rose Bowl, that wasn't just a product of having true freshmen at the other receiver spot. I know Julian Fleming was in that game too, but like mm-hmm. it was the true running backs that Utah was using in the secondary that day that played a big role in that. Like Jackson Smith, the Jigbo is in position to really beat up on those guys. And when Clark Phillips was in there too, but that wasn't really his matchup. Most of the time it was, there were some other guys that they could really um, victimize, I guess you would say Uh, that's not going to be the case here. I mean, I I don't, again, like as much as I think that Missouri has some vulnerabilities, I think they're going to put actual legitimate defensive backs on the field. So that'll be a good matchup for these younger guys. I mean, to, to go up against an, an SEC defense, regardless of, of whether it's an elite one or not, to, to see what guys like Carnell Tate and uh, maybe Brandon Ennis, maybe Noel Rogers, see how much those guys cycle in. Like, see, how, see what those guys can do. Jaden Ballard, like you said, a guy um, at this stage of his career who he has a, a real opportunity here, maybe kind of a crucial one to separate himself from what's coming up in this freshman class, like to see what those kind of guys can do against this group. Cause I think we know what Emeka Buka can do. I, I do think though, that with Ibuka, you know, we talked to these guys on Tuesday at the Woody about decisions. And I asked Ibuka, did you think this would still be kind of in the balance for you at this point? And how much did the injury this year throw that off? and and make this more complicated. And he went into kind of a more like philosophical answer about how the injury uh, was ordained and uh, a lot of stuff about his faith and how it'll make him stronger in the long run, uh, which I, I respect that. It just didn't really answer the more <laughs> technical question I was trying to ask about like, is he did, did the CJ Stroud thing is, is like, yeah, is, is it is the feedback you're getting from NFL teams that they, you know, I should have asked a better question. But I do think that is a factor for him. And he's one of the guys who uh, may still want to enter the draft if possible, if he's if he can have the right momentum going into this process. But I think it might take a bounce back game in the Cotton Bowl for him because uh, he just wasn't what we thought he was going to be this year. It wasn't really his fault. He had some nice moments before he got hurt. But once he got hurt, I don't think we ever saw the same Emeka Ibuka again. And this this break, this like five weeks that you get between 
well, not, not even five. It's it's four and some change that you get between the game and the Cotton Bowl gives him probably some much needed rest and recuperation and treatment and all those things. And uh, maybe mentally as much as physically, and then get to work yourself back into uh, the best version of him, potentially, that we've seen since he got hurt against Maryland. It's not quite C.J. Stroud, what can he do against Georgia? Because that's a different level. That's a different stage. That's a much better opponent. And that's a quarterback using that game to basically spark what is now happening for him down in Houston. It's not quite that level, but I do think Missouri's got some guys. Chris Abrams drain. That's their best defensive player. You know, he's getting, he's got targeted 50 times this year, 25 catches from only 327 yards. 83 of them have come after the catch. And I don't think he's given up. He's given up four touchdowns, but he's also got four picks and 12 pass breakups. That's a guy that I think is interesting whenever he gets a chance to get matched up on a Mecca Buka, because I'm sure they're not just going to keep a Mecca Buka in the slot. They're probably going to move him around at this point. So he'll get his fair share of opportunities to go up against a guy who has made some second team All-American list so far this year. But I do wonder, Nathan, to your point of, we never really got to see what was on the table for Emeka Buka this year because he got hurt and then he spent like three weeks trying to work his way back into it. So we got to see what the plan was for Marvin Harrison Jr. in 2023. But Emeka Buka came into the year as one of the guys who was arguably fighting for the right to call himself the second best receiver in college football. And he didn't get to get live up to that. And he might get a chance to do some of that in the cotton bowl. And I do wonder if they can maximize him in a way that, like I said, it's not about 300 plus yards in 15 catches and three touchdowns. That's not what we're talking about here because that's to your point. That's just as much a product of you're going against running backs and CJ Stroud being like the perfect quarterback for what Jackson Smith, the Jigba is as a wide receiver. So many things had to happen. Plus they were losing that game at halftime. So all that has to happen in this game for that to be the case. But I do think they can use him in a way that does show this is what was on the table for a Mecca Buka in a way that I do think of, if we started listing the players who decided on Tuesday, they were coming back. I would definitely put him high on the list of this game can significantly lift his draft stock because Missouri does have some guys in the secondary and they might have to rely on him in a way that they haven't necessarily had to rely on him all year because he's either been dealing with injuries or he was playing next to Marvin Harrison Jr. We just need to see a little bit more of the explosive element, a little bit more of the the true Mm -hmm. separation, a little bit more of him kind of, you know, really breaking away in the middle of the field and 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 making some big plays after the catch. Like just some of those things like even when he's been uh, he's been playing since he came back it it just didn't feel right. It didn't look right. It wasn't it, it just it it felt constricted. It felt that he wasn't able to get out there and just unleash himself. And I so I think that might be as important as anything to get out there it mm-hmm. it's not quite the same as with Jackson Smith the Jigba last year going into like the NFL combine. Because there, I think it was, what you're trying to do there is you do need some specific numbers. You do need some specific performance things to happen. But it was it was important for him to show up there in Indianapolis last year, get through everything, and just walk away healthy. Like, that sent a message. And just the way he looked very fluid out there. So if, if Emeka has been able to get, like I said before, the treatment and rest and everything else that he's needed here in the last couple of weeks to sort of recuperate refurbish himself a little bit. I think just showing up in that game and looking different, having that vibe about him, 
uh, number one, it's just reassuring for everybody. It helps his draft stock. It also makes him tougher to defend. I think Missouri has to be cognizant of that. When you see a guy who looks like he's hobbled or looks like he's not at 100%, you can defend him differently than you can if you think you're getting the full Emeka Buka experience. So from a pass blocking perspective, Andrew, I'll let you have your moment with this offensive line. Who is the biggest threat to Ohio State's offensive line and how confident are you in that group who has spent 12 weeks developing and they've gotten better incrementally every single week but are there guys on this Missouri front seven who might be a problem for this offensive line from a pass blocking standpoint yeah well the number one guy that you would look to is Darius Robinson um he had seven and a half sacks this year um you know he he's a guy he's I mean he's a huge body six foot five 296 he's one of those players I mean he's a graduate student um, you know, this is a first team all SEC player. Um, you know, this is a this is a guy who this is a really talented player. And, and this is a guy who can cause you some problems. Um, so I think that he would be the guy that you have to stop. Um, you know, like he's the guy that you look to and you're like, man, if we don't stop him off the edge. Uh, we're going to have some problems. So that's going to be a big job for the tackles. Um, they do get after the quarterback fairly decently. They had 35 sacks this year. Um, that was pretty good. You know, you have that guy leading the way in Robinson. He had four sacks. Um, then you had, uh, excuse me, you had two guys with um, with four sacks each, Johnny Walker Jr. and uh, Niles Gaddy. Great name, Niles Gaddy. Um, so th- they can get after the quarterback. All three of those guys are on the on the defensive line. Um, you know, not all of those guys are starters. Like they, they do a good job rotating on the defensive line. So the defensive line can get after you for Missouri and they're big and they're athletic. And I think that's the thing that you start with is, is with Darius Robinson, because that's a guy who, when he rushes off the edge, I think that that is where I want to see Devin Brown evolve or grow like I want to see the growth I guess is the way you could say that of Devin Brown because like this is a legitimate pass rusher like this is a guy who he's got really long arms he can get after you like this is a difficult task for Ohio State's offensive tackles and when you have a guy like that running off the edge who's got a freakishly long wingspan and just he meets all the physical traits that you need to be an elite pass rusher how do you game plan that and what do you do as a quarterback so this defensive line for Missouri is good and they're experienced and they're, you know, they, they look the part and, and I want to see how Devin Brown can start to handle things. If, Hey, Donovan Jackson steps on a foot again and he's on the ground and he's got to throw the ball and Devin's got to get rid of it real quick. Or, you know, Darius Robinson gets off the edge fast and beats Fryer Simmons and now all of a sudden Devin Brown's got to make a play. So this offensive line is going to have a challenge. You know, this offensive line, um, they're not going to have an easy walk in the park day because you got a bunch of opt outs. These are experienced dudes who are, who are really good. Nathan, I think we're going to get a true gauge on Devin Brown's athleticism because it's kind of, I mean, we have all along been saying, I don't think it's that far off from what Kyle McCord is. But that's because we've been seeing it in these almost designed run situations. We haven't necessarily gotten to see it full go in a game where it might not be about the design runs. It might be his ability to extend the play, as a lot of the players are talking about on Tuesday. And because of how Missouri attacks you, especially with this front seven, we might actually get to see what some of these players have been talking about. 
So there's an important distinction between whether um, a guy is, whether two guys are similar in terms of their speed and whether they are similar as runners. And I think uh, my point all along has been, if you think that Devin Brown is like this crazy speed merchant, like dual threat guy, that's not true. I don't believe that that's true. But I do think it is possible. And I think this because of, Sort of because of things we've seen, but certainly the way that every player on that team seems to talk about him, that the way he runs, that it's it's just a little bit looser, it's a little bit more creative. He just has that in his game more than Kamakor does. That's only useful for Ohio State, I think, within the context of still being successful as a passer. Uh, but it is an it is an added wrinkle, you know, to kind of a, a corollary to this game being such a bigger deal for Missouri. Um, Darius Robinson, I already saw an interview that he did. He's a Detroit kid, and he was talking about, yeah, Ohio State came to my high school, and they like gave me a camp flyer, and that was it. <laughs> I never heard from him again. So you're dealing with a team that, while it's in the SEC, it's in the greater Midwestern footprint, and I would imagine that he's not alone among guys on this team who – believed they were Ohio State caliber and didn't get that look and didn't get, you know especially I mean Ohio State has has recruited St. Louis Ohio State has recruited into Indiana and uh, even places like Illinois at times certainly Kentucky Tennessee they've pulled guys out of like all that is in the greater Missouri footprint there is overlap here in terms of that greater like 4 or 5 hour radius that that coaches like to prioritize so there's probably some guys on this team and he's like chief among them, like a guy who on his own is like first team, all SEC defensive end, but also is taking this game a little personally, not personally in like a Michigan, Ohio state kind of way, but personally enough that, you know, he's an NFL draft prospect. He probably wants to show, uh, go out on, you know, make his own statement in that regard, but also like guys who want to send uh, maybe some notice to the Ohio States of the world that uh, just as they do whenever they have to play Georgia and LSU and Alabama and those guys uh, in in their in in their conference stuff. Missouri's got a lot of emotional reasons going into this game. That's the past por- portion of this. Uh, like I said, we're, we were, we're splitting this up. We're talking about the passing first, and then we're talking about the running because that's basically what football is. You're either trying to score by air, you're trying to score by land, and every so often you're trying to score by foot on fourth and two. At the end of the first half, when you maybe should have gone for it, but that, we're not talking about that right now. We're going to take a quick break there, and when we come back, we're going to look at Missouri's run defense and whether or not we think Ohio State can run the ball efficiently against the Tigers on the Cotton Bowl on December 29th. And we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Are you interested in Ohio State football? Are you interested in Ohio State football recruiting? Do you want to know what's going on with the latest transfer portal, exoduses, and the guys who might be coming to Ohio State? Do you just want to vent and get something off of your chest? Do you like surveys? Do you listen to this pod and want to have a role in how it plays out? And I got the right thing for you. 614-350-3315. Listen, it's free for two weeks. For 14 days, you're going to get this text service for free. And that's going to get you through signing day, and it's going to get you through a week of bowl prep. And I promise you, you're going to want to play that 399 right after that. 614-350-3315. I think that's the best ad I have ever done on that. I'm going to keep improving on that, finding new creative ways for people to sign up for the text, because I promise you it's a good time over here. Nathan, we're not sure if Travion Henderson is going to play yet. 
We do know Dallin Hayden is going to play, at least as of right now, unless something crazy has happened in, <laughs> within like the 15 minutes after we finished recording this pod. As of right now, the running backs are Travion Henderson, Dallin Hayden, and then Xavier Johnson probably playing in both rooms, especially with the way they use him. Even as, he, as a wide receiver, they use him more in the run game with a lot of those jet sweeps and stuff like that anyway, so maybe we can still consider him in this room. When you look at Missouri's run defense, do you think – Oh, let's look at it from a Dallin Hayden perspective first because we know that one is for sure happening because I think we can all agree Travion Henderson be, being available on December 29th drastically upgrades – what's possible for this run defense, run, run, run game for Ohio State, excuse me. Do you think Ohio State can run the ball efficiently against Missouri? Uh, I do, yeah. Again, I, I don't know that this, this, the, any part of this Missouri defense um, strikes me as, like, you know, impenetrable by any means. And I think, the, you know, they're like – you know, the stat that I always like to cite, you know, um, yards per carry. They're 44th nationally. That's that's solid. That's where, like, you know, Wisconsin is this year. Not that far below, like, where Notre Dame was this year. But those are teams that Ohio State had some different varying measures of, of rushing success against this year. More in a one single big play way for Trevion Henderson against Notre Dame. A little bit more sustained uh, in the case of Wisconsin. So... I think it's absolutely a team that they can run the ball against. We don't know uh, if the whole offensive line is going to be intact. You know, Matt Jones, um, maybe uh, we don't. We haven't heard for sure whether he's going to play. If you get this whole offensive line intact with the momentum that they seem to be building late in the season, then I think that this is a team that they can go in, and they kind of need to probably. Like if if Ohio State can't efficiently run the ball, effectively run the ball. If Ohio State can't run with success on first down, regardless of who's back there, Henderson, Hayden, whatever, that's where you're really putting any quarterback, but especially a first-time starter in a bowl game quarterback in a tough position. I don't think they want Devin Brown to be living on second and seven, second and eight all day, because that's just asking for problems from those guys that we were just talking about on Missouri's front six. They are an experienced in front six. They've, they've got some other guys. Um, there was a linebacker named Tyron Hopper, who is, um, you know, remember we used to like quibble about the PFF grades compared to the accolades and the eye test on yes. Pete Werner. Like Hopper is like a, <laughs> he is like another extreme of that. I think yes. his, his PFF grade sucks. He's like a 51-5 in PF grade, and it's really brought down by his coverage. But overall, it, it's it's not great grades for him. So take that with however you want, because he was second team all big or second team all SEC as a linebacker. I think he might be the guy who came from Florida. They have a transfer from Florida. I think that might be him. Um, they, they're they're a defense though that also I think has some issues with uh, tackling. I don't think they're really uh, solid in the back end tackling. And that's an area where, again, Ohio State has some opportunities if they're creating the opportunities up front. I think once you get Henderson, Hayden, whoever into the second level, I think this is an offense that uh, this is, there, there's definitely an opportunity for Ohio State to lay the foundation it wants running the ball. And I think it's probably going to come out in such a way that it tries to establish the run and and help and use that to help Devin Brown get comfortable. 
They're gonna run stretch to the boundary and inside zone again, aren't they? They're gonna go back. They're gonna go back to running that. Andrew, I think they <laughs> should do that if it works. I think they should stop doing it when it's obvious that it won't. That's been the problem. I, in and of itself, running stretch into the boundary, there's a reason why. I mean, Ryan Day knows a thing or two about running an offense. There's a reason why he wanted to do that. They have had success doing that. But when it's not working, stop doing it. And and I would say, I would argue that it has been demonstrated this year that that is not the strength of this offensive line. And nor is it necessarily the strength of this running these running backs working within that offensive line. So maybe they'll do it. I don't know. I think if it's Trevian Henderson running, though, I think you're going to see them run the ball much the way that they tried to run the ball and were able to run the ball down the stretch this year. Mm-hmm. Up until the Michigan game, this team was building weekly momentum with how well it ran the ball. And that was where it just got, you know, they ran into a really good team that didn't make any mistakes, didn't give them any extra. And that was where it kind of, you know, froze up on them. So I think that is probably also something that is out there for them. You know, we've talked about uh, this, each individual player and, and this, this group of 2021 guys and, who has something to prove in this game. I think this offensive line doesn't want that Michigan performance to be the end of what was what it seemed like glacial progress at times, but it was progress. They got to week 12 as a better offensive line and a better run game than they were in week three, week four, week seven, week eight. So I think they're probably going to be challenged to show up on that field and replicate some of the performances that we saw from them late in the season, create those holes, let that offense, let the running game kind of start to be propulsive with this offense so that Devin Brown can work off of that rather than putting this all on his shoulders. I do wonder if we see the Devin Brown package as a little bit more of a prominent thing because it was a red zone thing when he was the backup quarterback, Andrew, but I am wondering because we've had this discussion too of like, are you doing that because he's not your starting quarterback and he's got maybe the skill sets you can tap into and so you're not worried about him getting hurt? So, Or is it something that because he's now your starting quarterback, we, you maybe use it as long as well as maybe everything else you might do? Do you think, first of all, do you think they'll use it, but also should they maybe use it against Missouri as a way to maybe open up the run game even more because it's one more thing the Tigers have to worry about? You mean use the Devin Brown package? Wouldn't the Devin Brown package be the like the offense? It just yeah, it would <laughs> just be the offense. It wouldn't even be yeah, a package. So I, it would I, just be running offense. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know if you want to drastically change things um, in a month span because you don't have Kyle McCord and he's not going to play. I so I I don't know if you want to you know make too many changes, but I do think you can call some you know, some read option type stuff, some, some zone read stuff, some, some gap stuff where you can try and get things moving East West before you hit them North South. And I think that that might be, that might be the move here for Ohio state because you don't want to risk your quarterback, but you also don't want to not use him in a manner at which he can be most effective for you. So you got to run him to an extent. Um, I think I'm I'm curious to see how Ohio State runs the ball just in general. Um, you know, when you look at the two deep for for Missouri uh, at defensive tackle, only one of those four players they have it kind of experimented with using three down linemen. They did that against Tennessee, um, but they only have three or excuse me, three of their four interior players in that two deep are over 300 pounds. 
Um, one of them, uh, which is one of the coolest names Ohio State's going to play all year. His name is Realist George Jr. Um, yes. Just, just an outstanding name. Um, so shout out Realist. Uh, you could say he is the realist. Um, he played at Miami as a fullback, and then he went to Independence Community College of Last Chance U, and now he's here. So, like, just the reason I say that is because that's the body type that we're working with, right? He's six one two ninety. This is not a this is not a Jason Moore six six two ninety three hundred pounds. This is a this is a smaller dude who is more athletic who is really good at breaking up passes and, you know, making stunts and making life problematic for interior linemen, not in the way that he's 330 pounds and it's, oh my God, how do I move this guy? It's these guys are quick and these guys can move and they're not this big hulking. This is what you saw against Michigan, you know, Chris Jenkins and, uh, something Graham, I think I forget the other guy's name, but like, those are the two guys up the middle for Michigan. And they were kind of more traditional defensive tackles, whereas Missouri does not have that. So I'm wondering if you can rely on getting a push because those guys are a little bit undersized compared to what you would expect from, you know, an sec defense. Now they can move. Don't get me wrong. Like these guys are really athletic up front. So I'm curious to see how they do that. But I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State try to establish something because if you do establish something in the ground game, you give yourself and your quarterback, more importantly, a little bit of a cushion. My favorite thing about Realist George Jr. is it's not spelled like realist. I wish it's it real was. US. I wish no, no, no. It was. I like this. It's subtle. It's subtle. Realist. Because when you're just going down the list of players, you don't realize it until you go, wait a minute. Realist George, I love that name. I think we don't have enough time to do that on this pod today, and we're not talking about that. But there's this is a, a Cotton Bowl has some names in it, man. Between Realist and Steel, there are some just some names, some real football names, Nathan, in this Cotton Bowl that are just as intriguing, but not as intriguing as talking about the run game. Does, <laughs> I don't believe in Georgia Ryan Day anymore. I think that was just this one-off situation, but. How important is it for Ohio State to establish the run game in a situation like this? Like, you can't just come out here and do what you did against Georgia. One, because you don't have your experienced starting quarterback. Two, you don't have your best wide receiver. And three, this is not a playoff game. It's just not the same situation. So is it that much more important to establish a run game in this situation, regardless of what it looks like? Whether it is, I'm joking and saying the inside zone and stretch to the boundary stuff, but even the gap scheme stuff that they were doing late in the year when Travion Henderson really got going? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think, like I said before, I, I think you have to establish the run because I think you have to give Devin Brown a chance. I think you 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 can't expect, you can't put the pressure on him to be perfect on first down throwing the ball um, and not putting him, yourself in the second and even longer. And uh, you can't put him in the pressure of, of, of having Missouri coming after him, knowing what's coming on, on second and third down every time. So if, if Trevin Henderson can't play, then it's going to be up to this offensive line to to be a catalyst and to get this thing going. I think I would be surprised. We, we had sort of like, as we were talking about this in recent weeks, floated like, oh, maybe like Devin Brown takes over as a starter. Now Lincoln Keenholz just does the Devin Brown package. I, I think the reason the Devin Brown package was going to work and could, was going to build to something even more was that you trusted him as a passer against Big Ten teams. And I don't know that they trust Lincoln Keynotes yet as a passer against Big Ten slash SEC slash top 10 teams. 
And it's not just having someone go in and run the wildcat. It's the unpredictability of having a quarterback who could do both. So I don't think that's something that they would, or I'm not even sure if it's something they should think about doing at this point. If you're trying to win this game, you've got guys coming back to win this game. I think you need to be making, and, and, and by a by, by, byproduct of all this, you do get to put a quarterback there and get him a lot of experience regardless of who else you're using. So you're, you're getting the best of both worlds there if you can win this game with Devin Brown at quarterback. I would expect them to, when they're in a goal line situation, still have him in the game. I just think it opens up more what they will maybe do in the goal line situation. They weren't really ever going to run that with McCord. Uh, very rarely, maybe if it was mm-hmm. a sneak situation. I know they tried it once uh, early in the season. He didn't work out. They never really went back to it. I think with Brown in the game, this is a more unpredictable team around the goal line. So just like we ended the Thursday pod, I'll ask you guys this. What's the most concerning thing about Missouri's defense in terms of how it can maybe exploit Ohio State's offense? And Andrew, we can start with you. Because I think they're married together. I think here, so I'll, I'll, I'll marry them together by saying this. What they can do to impact Devin Brown. Because I think they... They know Nathan said this. You why wouldn't you try to confuse him, right? Like why wouldn't you try to mess with him a little bit and, and make things difficult on him? Because this is a guy who is going to be making his first start, and this is a big deal for Devin Brown. And you haven't seen him play in an environment like this against a team like this when he has to play big time reps. You know, you've seen him play in the red zone and things like that. So I think. The things that they can do in the pass game would really kind of worry me if I were Ohio State because, you know, you've got that really good pass rusher off the edge. You have a dude named Realis on their defense. That would scare me. Um, and then you got a really good, like you got an all, you got an all American in the secondary. Uh, Enos Rakestraw Jr. is another great name uh, in their secondary, but he's questionable with an injury. So you, we'll see what happens in that secondary. But like if he's able to go, you've got, two really good corners. You've got some experience in the secondary. You've got obviously experience on the front. Darius Robinson can get after you. I Johnny Walker too, on the other defensive end. I, I think that the way that they can impact Devin Brown would be the thing that would scare me the most, because I think getting after the passer and then having the corners to back that up, you know, getting home with four, I think that having the corners to back that up would really kind of frighten me because I don't know how Devin Brown's going to react. Maybe it's really good, but we don't know that because we haven't seen it yet. Missouri averages almost three sacks a game. They rank 15th in the nation, I think, tied for 15th, uh, three sacks a game. Um, that's an, a a neighborhood that Ohio State used to live in pretty regularly, but hasn't in quite some time. So it's just something that they're going to have to be aware of, that um, it's not just how aggressive Missouri is going to be. I think that it, whether they are trying to get in Brown's head that way or not, uh, there's a possibility that as well as this offensive line has protected and through all the issues it had this year, I think the pass protection was by and large good enough. Um, but it's, it, this is going to be one of the better teams that it's faced as far as like being able to get to a quarterback. I think it's our, it might be the best in terms of just like getting home. It's one of the better teams they faced because obviously Penn state had that trio of defensive ends, but then chop Robinson getting hurt midway through that game really changed the, the math there. And in Michigan, their pressure was coming from the interior. So from a edge rushing standpoint, this 
I think Missouri is up there. And you're right, Nathan, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't necessarily seen, for all of Josh's, Josh Simmons and Josh Fryer's flaws this year, we haven't yet to, we've yet to see someone just flat out dominate them for 50 snaps, right? Josh Fryer would have a couple of slip-ups here and there, but it was never a full game thing. And when you're starting a new starting quarterback who might hold the ball a little bit just because he's young and hasn't necessarily played a full game in his first game as a top 10 opponent, that's always on the table that maybe maybe there might be a drive where like Josh Simmons or Josh Fry just gets dominated by one of these guys. And, I, and that changes the equation here, especially if you can't run the ball and you get yourself in a situation where you've got to rely on Devin Brown's arm more than you maybe want to rely on Devin Brown's arm this early on in his career as an Ohio State starting quarterback, which could be a one-game thing or could be a, a preview into what next year is going to look like. That's the defensive side of the ball. I, Missouri's offense is clearly the reason why it's 10-2. Their defense has got some dudes on it, but I don't think as a collective it's as stout and has as many names on it that you're maybe worried about the same way you are on the offensive side. I think that's a fair point to make. That'll wrap up the Missouri talk this week. We did offense on Thursday. We're doing defense on Friday. Monday and Tuesday, Andrew and I will do offense, defense stuff again, but it'll be recruiting. We'll be looking at Ohio State's 2024 recruiting class as it heads into signing day on Wednesday. As of right now, we're recording this. They have the number two class in the country, depending on what happens with some other programs around the country. And its own program, they could move up or they could move down. But right now, the number two class in the country, we'll get into that more on Monday and Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we have signing day. Get the text 614-350-3315. There's still transfer portal stuff going on. There's guys visiting who are thinking about transferring to other schools. We text out that information as, you know, guys maybe look like they're on flip watch or anything out. We're texting that information out as well. And anytime we talk with players or coaches or anybody else around the program, we text that stuff out too. 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, 399 after that. So for Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.